We started last week uh, the Gospel of Mark. The overall theme and our big idea last week was just the idea of come follow me. Uh, We've all, after we've been uh, had our first interaction with Jesus, whether we were a young and at, at a church or maybe at a conference as we got older or through a friend or a family member, uh, we've heard the story of Jesus and then we've heard his words, come follow me. He's invited us to be a part of this journey, to place our faith in Jesus Christ as our savior and then move down the path of discipleship hopefully becoming a little bit more like our Savior each day. Uh, and and, and we've, we've been invited on that journey. And Holy Spirit, again, indwelling his believers, ha- has brought us to a place, hopefully, of salvation. A lot of us, if not, uh, there are a few here that might not yet believe, uh, and we're glad that you're here today. But once we've been to that place, once we've come to that place, we've answered the call, come follow me. How then should we live our lives? How should that affect us? This weekend, uh, just to kind of go back a little bit before we hop into Mark, Gabe Gaspore, he was here last week and he spoke, but uh, he organized a little mini conference for our men, uh, and we ended up with about 67 men on Friday night down at our Lacey campus, a nice turnout, uh, and then there was a few of us that weren't able to go on Friday that showed up on Saturday and joined them, uh, and, and, and I want to make sure that even though he's not here right now, I want to throw out a, a huge thank you to him, uh, to, to Pastor Kevin and Pastor Drew, since it was in their home building, they did a lot of the work, uh, and there were a lot of people that helped out. Uh, and I don't really have time necessarily to mention each one of them, but we appreciated that. The theme for the weekend was men of action, calling our men to be all that they can be for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go all in. And so if you were one of the dozen or so men uh, from, from the TGW DuPont campus that were there, um, you know, you were called to action this weekend, right, to step up to be all in, to be all that you can be, uh, and then to change our mindset to, to process things in light of the gospel. And, and that was what we saw this weekend as a group of men sitting there uh, down in Lacey. What we thought was interesting is the call for this weekend uh, to, to be men of action, to be all in, is kind of where we find ourselves in the book of Mark. As Jesus' ministry here gets, it kind of gets started with a bang. John Mark writes about the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he calls the four disciples. And that's what we'll be looking at today to come follow me. But it's not a passive kind of knowing, right? Or a passive kind of following, I should say. He calls them to mission. He calls them to action, right? It's an action, or call to action we see here in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. And and that's what we're going to see here in our text. Last week, we compared the Gospels a little bit. If you were here last week, you remember we we talked about that. Um, The differences, the differences in the audiences, who was writing and how they were writing and why they were writing. And even though they told the same story, 
the story of Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel, they were all told in a little bit different way. And, and this week on my timeline, multiple times I had this meme showed up, uh, show up. So if you were one of the ones that sent it to me, I appreciate it. But for those of you who haven't seen this yet or weren't there last week, we can kind of briefly go over. If you are looking at the, the gospel of Matthew, the story Matthew tells, it says, before I begin, let me give you the genealogy of Jesus so you know this is about a real person. Matthew goes into a lot of detail, how, how uh, things uh, or setting up the story, setting up the coming of Jesus Christ, and, and he's writing to his particular audience. Luke here, we see Luke say, before I begin, let me tell you the backstory, right, that led up to all of this. Again, it's Luke's uh, de- designated or designed idea to write towards a particular audience, and he writes it that way. John says, before I begin, let me explain why it's important to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, if you read the first chapter of John, you're going to see that John is making a case to believe that Jesus Christ is God. And then we see Mark, the, the least preached gospel, the one we're going to preach through here over the next six months or so. And he just says, hey, let's get down to business. All right. And that's what we're doing here. We saw that even last week. And we're going to see that as we continue in today uh, into the, the second half of the first chapter. So if you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to open it up in case you want to jot down some notes or anything. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, back on the back table, we have a grab a Bible table, uh, and, and we want to invite you even now to walk back there and grab one of those, and let that be a gift from us to you. Uh, if you want to use it just for the day and put it back, that's fine, but if you want to take that with you, put your name in it, start taking notes, we feel it's very important for people to have a copy of God's Word. Even though there are some great Bible apps, and I would recommend you downloading them so that you have God's God's word with you all the time, and you can read it anywhere. Doctors, you know, appointments running late, whatever it might be, waiting on your kids. Not that I ever have to wait on my kids, but uh, you know, I can open up God's word. But it, there's something about having that book. And so, again, let me just uh, invite you again if you don't have a copy of God's word to grab one of those and make it your own. Starting here in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, we know that was John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, because we just were talking about him. Uh, So a little catch up in case you weren't here last week. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. A couple of different scholars uh, referred this week uh, to verses 14 and 15 as Jesus' press conference, right? He had something to say, okay? Announcing the beginning of his ministry. Uh, it's kind of that put out the table, put the, the banner behind you, uh, and, and make the announcement, right? It's like a, a high school athlete that wants to announce where they're going to commit this next season to, right? They go out, they sit down behind the table, there's three or four college hats, and they pick up the one they're going to go to, right? They're making an announcement. And here we see that, that the time had come, John had been arrested, and Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, Mark provides here the time after John was arrested and the place in verse 14, which is actually unique. Uh, he, He doesn't do this often. If you've read through Mark, he doesn't necessarily point to specific times. He's just telling the story. 
with very few words. He's allowing me to, to flesh that out for you guys. But he's going to tell it in very few words. But here he gives a time and a place. And so uh, as an author doing something outside of his norm, we want to like gravitate towards that for a moment and say, okay, why is Mark doing this? This is outside the norm for him. But he wants to point to the timing after John the Baptist's ministry and the place that he was going into Galilee. So after John was arrested, there appears to have been a gap between verse 13, what was going on at the beginning of the first chapter of Mark, and verse 14. We don't know exactly how much time Even in other Gospels, it's hard to tell. But it does seem significant that John's ministry was to go before Jesus' ministry. So we have prophecies about that, and and it was an important timeline that needed to take place. And so Mark, even though he normally doesn't focus on maybe the, the, the specific times and those sorts of things, he feels that it's important here to do that. John went before Jesus, and now that John's ministry had ended, it's time for Jesus to fully come to the forefront. And that's what we see, that's, that's the setting and, and what we see happening right here. Jesus had come from Galilee to John, who was baptizing in the Jordan River, right? And that was in the Judea area. John was arrested, and we know from Matthew 14, so if you're taking notes, jot down Matthew 14, if you think you want to go over there and read there at some point this week. Uh, He had a vocal opposition to the sinful marriage of Herod Antipas. Uh, He had married his sister-in-law, and John was vocal about that. He was saying, that's not good, that's not right, that is sin, And, and Herod was upset about that. And so a whole bunch of family drama going on there, and ultimately John is arrested. Unfortunately, John the Baptist's fate is sealed, right? They had enough uh, animosity towards him that this would cost him his life, but even this was in God's plan. And so we have to rest on that, that, that we know that John the Baptist came to the earth for a purpose. He knew that he had come to the earth for a purpose, which is awesome. And, and, and as followers of Christ, we all need to get to that place where we say, yeah, God has me on this planet for a reason. What is that? God, what do you want me to do? And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's uh, you know, uh, for the next year or two or three or for a lifetime. It, it, what do you have me to do right now? Knowing that God's plan uh, is set in place and you can be a part of that. The path of discipleship we know is not one of ease or prosperity. The Gospels are clear about that. And in John's example, we see that it even costs him his life and could cost us our lives. And indeed, the ultimate example that you and I look towards, that we encourage you weekly to look towards, is Jesus Christ. And it cost him his life, fully God, fully man. And yet he came to this earth on mission to proclaim the gospel of God, and he was the gospel, we'll get to that in a minute, but to proclaim that knowing that it would cost him his life. So getting back to the setting, Jesus now returns to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, right there at the end of verse 14. Jesus did not choose to go to the religious 
center of Israel. He didn't go to Jerusalem to proclaim the gospel of God. Little old Galilee has an important part to play in Jesus' redemptive history. Galilee is actually where Jesus saw the most success in his preaching, in his ministry. Galilee is also where Jesus, following his death and resurrection, gathers his dispersed and defeated, dejected followers, right? They scattered. They didn't know what was going on. He gathers them together, and then he recommissions them for ministry. He does that in Galilee. Mark's depiction of Jerusalem, by stark contrast, it's characterized by faithlessness and opposition to Jesus Christ and all, by all the religious leaders of that day. So Galilee, despite its insignificance, is quite significant to Jesus. And we find in the gospel, in Jesus' gospel, that it's often the unpolished or the uneducated or the poor, even the children, right, who respond to the gospel. We see that over and over and over again in the gospel. It's those who are hurting that see their need for the doctor, right? The Savior. It's those on the outside, not necessarily accepted by society. And that's what Jesus was doing. That's what he was proclaiming, the word that, that Mark uses there, the gospel of God. He doesn't formally mean uh, the, the good news about God, but even more so the, the good news from God. You see that slight difference? It's not the good news about God, even though that's great to talk about, God loves us enough to send his son, and this is the story of it. God loves us enough to, to send the Holy Spirit, right? But this is the good news from God. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit different than what we get this, uh, today. The person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was here on the earth. And that's what Jesus was proclaiming. It's amazing to consider that, that Jesus not only proclaimed the gospel, the good news, that God wanted to have a relationship with mankind, that God loved mankind, but also that he was the gospel. John Mark summarizes Jesus' message in verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He lays it all out there. Let's break it down a little bit. The time is fulfilled, right? Again, we talked about timing. We talked about the importance of, of Mark pointing this out when he normally doesn't. But the, the one who John the Baptist said was coming had come. Indeed, all of the prophecies of the Messiah are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ or the Messiah are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus will begin about a year and a half of preaching ministry that he is going to do in Galilee. This is the, the occasion, though, for him to have this press release, right? It's time. Everything has happened that needs to, and I'm going to proclaim the good news of the gospel of God. He says next there, Mark says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. This world was created by God and for God. We need to remember that. God created us to find joy in his creation. 
our enjoyment or lack thereof depends wholly on whether we accept that fact. If you want to have true joy, we talked about this down in the men's conference a little bit. True joy only comes through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you have true joy and a true friendship in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter what this world throws at you, you can find joy. So no matter what you're going through right now, what hardship, what season you're struggling with, what weight is crushing you, if you believe the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the words that are in the Bible, you can find joy even in that season. Any attempt for us to make this life about me, about us, will result in going against the very grain of creation. We were created for God. By God, but for him. He wants us to find everything in him. And when we try to make it about me, how my life is, the things that are going wrong or the things that are going right, look what I've accomplished or, or look at the bad luck that's come upon me and it's about me, me, me. We are, gonna ne- we are never going to find the joy. Never. Story after story, you guys know them. I didn't write any of them down particularly of, of people who do not follow Jesus Christ, who are not believers, who have found success in this world, have only come to find that it is hollow. Doesn't matter how many zeros are at the end of your bank account, right? Doesn't matter how much money, how much fame, how much success you find, in the end, it will be lacking. Story after story, after story. And yet Jesus says, come to me. And he doesn't care about your status. He doesn't care how many zeros in your bank account. And he says, you will find true joy. And when I talked to my friend, even this morning, uh, who's going through cancer and her, her days are getting towards the end, she has joy in this world because of her relationship with Jesus Christ. The doctors have told her there's nothing more we can do. The world can't do anything more for her. Cancer doesn't care that she has a 16-year-old son and a husband that don't want her to leave this world. And yet, my friend can say, I choose to find joy in this. As twisted as that can sound, especially to the world that doesn't understand. Her relationship with Christ comes first. Her joy that's found in this world, her outlook on life is not dependent on what's going on in the world, but it's dependent on her relationship. And that's what Jesus came to proclaim. The good news of the gospel of God is that God loves you enough that he sent me... God, Jesus Christ, down to you. And I'm going to live amongst you, and we're going to talk, and I'm going to teach you, and, 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 and I'm going to give you the example, and in the end, I'm going to die so that you can find peace with God. The rebellious sin nature that we all have can be removed through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can find this relationship 
redeemed and restored. That's incredible. And that's what Jesus came to earth to preach about. It went against the very grain uh, of society and pushed us back towards the original intent of creation. So the meaning at hand has really two uh, connotations that are equally true. Time and flesh, right? The kingdom of God is at hand, timing, John the Baptist gone, right? It's a critical moment. Here we are. Mark makes a point of that. And that the kingdom of God is near in the proximity. Jesus Christ was on the earth And when he calls to the disciples here in a couple of verses, that was Jesus talking to these men. It was incredible, right? We talk and we believe, we talk about the Holy Spirit living inside of us and that that should affect us and change who we are. And I believe that to the core, that God has placed himself inside of any one of us who believes, right? And that is incredible. And I think a lot of times we forget that. We don't allow it to change who we are. That is truth. But at this moment in time, God sent Jesus Christ. If I was there 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ could be standing right next to me. Pretty incredible. That's what uh, Mark meant when he said at hand. There was a timing. There was also a sense of proximity. The kingdom of God is near because Jesus is here. And he is the kingdom of God embodied. Right? All the promises in Scripture are through him. This is an important moment, right? And Jesus says, I am here right now. Repent and believe in the gospel. The arrival of God's kingdom demands a change of thinking. We've talked about the concept of repentance last week a little bit. It's a change of mind, a willful decision that truly is what it comes down to when you first profess faith in Jesus Christ, you are acknowledging that the way of the world, the way that you think you're wired, the decisions that you're making are contrary to what God would want you to do. And you're saying, I'm ready to change that. Now in that moment, everything is right between you and God. Everything is forgiven. It doesn't mean that you are perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't trip and fall on your face. It doesn't mean that you won't blow it big time. But what it means is Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and hopefully you're surrounding yourself with other men and other women who will pick you up off the ground and say, let's continue to move forward. You really screwed up, right? It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but your relationship now has been right with God. Repent. Change your thinking about sin, right? Changing your mind. It's a willful decision. When confronted with the reality of who God is, who mankind is, what sin is, when you understand all those things, you are then left to making a decision for yourself. What am I going to believe about God? What do I believe about Jesus Christ? What do I believe about what the Bible says about him? What do I believe about myself? Can I do enough good to outweigh my bad and I don't really need God, but I'll end up in the good place, right? If I can, if I can do a little bit more good than bad, or, and what do I believe about sin? Who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? Right? I, I, this idea of sin, you're going to tell me just because I act this way or talk this way or do this action that somehow I'm sinning? What does that even mean? So it's, it's, a, it's a place you have to get to in your mind where you make a decision on all of these things. There's not a list of things you have to do to get 
salvation or somehow earn salvation, but your mind has to get to a place where you can say, I can't do this on my own. I surrender. I'm going to accept the free gift of salvation. It's a mental thing. That's why repent and believe are connected here, right? They are turning to something, right? Away from this life, away from this sin, away from this belief system, and to this system, right? To this belief. What do we believe about God? What do we believe about Jesus Christ? What do we believe? Those things. We're turning away from what we believed before and to something. And Jesus is saying, repent and believe. Both these verbs are our response uh, to God, right? They're present imperatives. This means we are commanded to live in a constant state of repentance and believe. Did you catch that? Present imperatives. We've got to continue on in our belief and continue on in our repentance. And that is what Jesus Christ is calling us to hear. The king has arrived. He rightly demands for us to follow him, radically obey him, change who we are and what we believed. The only appropriate response to the kingdom of God is to repent and believe. Again, Mark is concise. This is beautiful. For any of you that grew up in a system that told you there was a lot of things you need to do to fix this relationship, right, or to become a Christian, Mark is going to step out and say, no, this is what Jesus Christ proclaimed. Now, are all these other things good? Is it good to stop sinning? Is it good to, you know, serve? Is it good to support your church financially? Is it good to be baptized? Is it good to take uh, communion and remember the sacrifice? Yes, all those things are great. And we'll talk about those things. But they have nothing to do with your salvation. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's what Jesus says. Let's continue on here in our story. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother uh, of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you uh, become fishers of men. Jesus saw and he said, Jesus was looking for people that would latch on to the gospel that he was proclaiming, right? They wanted people that would say, okay, I'm buying into this. How special that in Mark's gospel, the very thing, the very first thing Jesus does is to engage in relationship with his disciples. This is one of the reasons that we talk about relationships so often here. God wants a relationship with you because he loves you. Again, we got to break down as much of, we can't get it all down because God is still mysterious, but we got to break a lot of that down and believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says, I want to know you and I want you to know me. He is calling you to be a friend. This weekend I talked about uh, Jesus wanting to be our friend, but it started even earlier. God came down to earth and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's why it was so weird after they sinned uh, that God's going to hey, where are you? Even though he knew they were hiding in the bushes. He came to this earth on a regular basis to walk with his creation. God loved Adam and Eve. He loves you, right? It, it, the story in, in Genesis later, 14 or 18, he talks about God coming to this earth, 
I believe a pre-incarnate Christ, but even, no matter what you believe, God came to this earth and walked and talked and ate with Abraham on multiple occasions. And then we see that story alluded to another four or five times in Scripture. God was Abraham's friend, and he desires the same thing from you. And so Jesus came. He's looking for a relationship with with these disciples. He's looking for his friends. And so that's why often when we talk about communion, that was the night that Jesus was betrayed. But he was spending one more night with the closest friends he had here on this earth. Jesus came here to befriend mankind. And that's where Mark's gospel starts here. It wasn't a miracle that he did. It wasn't a, a mighty sermon. No, it's Jesus calling some men, some disciples to come. Follow me. Forget what you're doing. Come follow me. God is a God of relationship, and, and Jesus prioritized people first. And, and we see that in this account. The call of these fishermen was not a, a call to fellowship. Right, just to call the fellowship. It was to to relationships. This was deep. This was going to be meaningful. It's not an exaggeration to say that the, the seeds of the Christian church originated in the first act of Jesus' public ministry, in which he called four fishermen into community with himself. That is why it is so important here at the Grace Works. For us as pastors, for the leadership, for the families who have said, I'm all in, I believe in this, to promote community. That's why we have food afterwards. Because we want your kids to grab a plate and start eating, and then you have to talk to somebody else, right? And then as you talk, you become friends, and then what, what do friends do, right? I need a couple of, uh, of light fixtures put up in my bathroom. Who's going to help me, Right? There's one of my friends out there that's going to raise their hand, and I'm going to get some help on some lamps that have been sitting in my garage for the last six months, right? Because I know somebody. It's friendships. It's relationships, right? That's why we do community groups. Community groups are important. You gather together. You eat some food. You talk for a while, and then you go over the sermon. What, what were your thoughts on this? What did you think when Pastor Dave said this? Yeah, I loved that. What about this where, where Pastor Mark said this? Yeah, he was going crazy there. I'm not sure what he meant there, right? You know, I mean, that's where you get to talk about it. And then you pray for each other, right? And then at the end, when you should be leaving that person's home so they can put together their house and get ready for the next day, you stand around and talk because now you are engaging in community. So when we talk about community groups, it's not just because we're trying to fulfill a certain amount of groups or amount of people to show up there. It's because we love you and we believe truly that Jesus Christ came here to call people to live together in community with himself and that his desire for the church is the same here today. This is a community. This is a family. Look around you. These are your people. And we help each other out. We love on each other. Now, this is also interesting in the fact that in that day and age, the rabbinic schools, the student would seek out a respected rabbi. They would go to a rabbi and try to get under them for teaching. Furthermore, the student's allegiance was to the law. 
Okay? So we're even talking about the, the, in Israel, they would go after a certain rabbi, but they, were, they just wanted to learn about the law. They wanted to know every jot and tittle. They wanted to know everything about all the laws from the Old Testament, right? On the other hand, Jesus' form of discipleship is fundamentally different. Jesus, in turn, seeks them out. He chases you. He's following you. He desires relationship and friendship. And he seeks them out. Jesus seeks these men out. And ultimately, their allegiance will be to him and not to the law. That's why we talk about the Bible proclaiming a relationship with God, not a religious system that says, do X, Y, and Z, and maybe you can end up in heaven. I also love that this call from Jesus was so gracious. He didn't say, follow me, but only after you stop sinning. Get yourself right, right? Or after you clean up your life a little bit first. No, it was a grace call. It was a call directly to their hearts. Today, right now, come follow me. Come as you are. There's nothing else you need to do. I'm calling. You respond. And then we're going to move forward and we're going to work through all these things. Everything that you need to work through, we're going to work through, but we're going to work through together. And that relationship with God is the same today. So put yourselves in Simon and Andrew's sandals here, right? They had a job. They had obligations. And here was this man claiming to be the Messiah, asking you to drop everything and follow him. What would you do? What did you do? Because his, this call that he placed on their lives, he's calling us today to do the same. It's no less crazy or radical. And if, if you've heard the call preached before, and we failed to get across the idea of what that full commitment looks like, then we have failed you as pastors. And that's okay, because that happens. But every time we look at the gospel, we look at Jesus Christ, we look at the call that he puts out, we need to realize what he is calling us to. Right? He calls us to come. He calls us to follow him, to put your complete trust and your faith in him, in this gospel, in this coming kingdom, right? But in this case, he says, come follow me, and he pulls them away from family and work and all those other things. And yet, if you truly think about your life and the life that this world would have you lead, Christ is calling you to a radical difference, Would someone that knows you that's not a believer know that there's a difference in your life from the decisions that you make and the way that you carry yourself, the way that you talk and communicate, the way that you love your family, your friends, and even them, your coworkers or whoever it might be? Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. And at first glance, this might just seem quite witty. Right? Here are these men, they're fishermen, right? And, and Jesus says, hey, okay, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And we're like, hey, well played, Jesus, right? <laughs> but this, this phrase is more than a play on words. In the Old Testament, we see mentions of God fishing people, fishing of people, fishing for people. And it's often in the context of divine judgment. Again, if you're looking to do some more study, some more research this week, get your pens ready. Jeremiah 16, Ezekiel 29, and Amos 4. Write those down. I see a few people writing. 
So that makes my heart happy. So I'm going to say it one more time. Jeremiah 16, Ezekiel 29, and Amos 4 all talk about God sending men to fish and to bring those who have sinned against God back to him. Did you guys know that? That's pretty cool, right? Because I often thought of, or I definitely believed, that God was just trying to be witty, you know, through Jesus Christ. Hey, I want to make you fishers of men, right? Drop what you're doing and come follow me. But instead, he's going back to these stories in the Old Testament where God is calling someone to go and fish after people and bring them back, right? You're sinning against God. Come back. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to bring you back in. The summons to be the fisher, fishers of men is calling uh, to the eschatological uh, task of gathering men, right? Bringing men back, and when I say men, it's men and women, obviously, in the view of forthcoming judgment of God, right? So that's what Jesus is preaching. He wants to bring in these disciples to make them fishers of men to let people know that they have a decision to make. You've got to get to the place because in the future, this is going to matter. God is going to take out his wrath on those who sin and continue to sin and in outright rebellion reject God and the offer of salvation. God is going to take out judgment on them. And, and we have been called to bring people back to God, to fish for them, to bring them back in and to give them that opportunity to right the relationship with God. It extends uh, really to the demand for repentance that Jesus is preaching precisely because Jesus has come, fishing now has become necessary. In other words, we're ushering in the next part of the story, God coming to earth, right? And this is an important part. And then now in the future, we know that God is going to come again, and we believe that. And so we see the story moving forward. Jesus sees it necessary for him to fish these men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Immediately they left their nets. This is still talking uh, about uh, the first two that, that, that Jesus called. Mark says nothing about any previous encounters between Jesus and these two particular men, even though there could have been. It might have been alluded to in the Gospel of John. Yet either way, look at their response. They immediately followed. They left everything to follow him. They left their lucrative job. Fishermen make good money. They left their homes, their families, their friends. They answered a costly call, and that call on your life is costly too. God is calling you to leave behind things of this world. Their foundation of their life was being replaced in every aspect, right? The call of Jesus meant to completely turn 180 from the security found in their earthly things to cling to the hope that was found in the promise of God. The kingdom was at hand, so they left everything to follow him. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. 19 and 20 goes on to the next story where he's calling two more people. He extends this call to James and John. Again, while they were working, they were mending their nets, uh, and the response was the same. Can you imagine what you would do if you had been living then or how you would feel if you were their dad or their mom? 
They're working with their dad, Zebedee, right? God comes along, hey, I want you guys to come with me. Come follow me. And the boys, their boys, his future of his company maybe, right? The livelihood of the family. There's no two-week notice. Nope. Zebedee was left behind, it says there, with some hired help. Costly? I would say so. Sons leaving fathers, fathers losing their sons to a call that took them away from their families, took them away from their business, and yet they responded to the call that Jesus placed on them in a way that has been left as an example to all of us. History views these men's responses, and, and it really beckons us to mirror them. Jesus Christ's call to you today is come follow me. I think one thing we can know from these brief stories of the call placed by Jesus is that these men recognized Jesus and the radical difference he was calling them to make. And that's Christianity. And I'm not saying that you're not a Christian if, if, if this is sounding new or this is challenging you in a different way. But understand what the call is that's on your life. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ, right, that's signed, sealed, delivered. There's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. But have any of you ever bought something and not realized all the garbage that came along with it, right? You didn't read all the small print, right? God is calling us to make a radical change in our lives, so if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, but you haven't necessarily turned in complete repentance and, and moving forward and, and, and choosing, and again, it doesn't mean that you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't sin. But do you understand what God is calling you to? It doesn't mean that your salvation experience wasn't valid. I'm not saying those things at all. But God is calling you through Jesus Christ's words to come follow me, to live in a radical way to turn from what the world has to offer, which can never bring you joy, to the one thing in this world that is out of this world that can truly bring you joy. It is interesting that the kind of fishing envisioned was a net, right? Not line fishing. It's a lot of times the way we think about it, right? Put that worm on and we throw out our line and we're trying to catch one guy, right? We're trying to catch one fish which is involved in that circular net. At the end of the net, all the way around, it had heavy weights, right? And, and, and around the perimeter. The occupation of the fishermen was very labor-intensive. It was heavy. And these nets would tear and they would break. The imagery uh, of using a lure and a line waiting for the fish to strike is thus foreign to this text. These fishermen wouldn't have understood that thrown out a little bit and seeing if anybody bites. No, they were going after the fish. They were netting them. Rather, the imagery of the fishermen involved much strain, long hours, and often little results. Jesus' points, or point seems to be the strenuousness of evangelism, the work ethic that is required, persistence and dedication to the task, often in spite of min with minimal results, Right, the infinite value of the new catch. Right, Jesus is saying, "People, that's what we're going after, 
and there is value there. Think about it. What is needed to be a good fisherman? Characteristics like courage, the ability to work together, patience, energy, stamina, faith, and tenacity. Fishermen, fisherwomen are not quitters or complainers. As disciples, we must seek to emulate these same disciplines. As we do, we will become fishers of men and and we will live a life worthy of the calling in which we have been called. Ephesians 4. Live a life worthy of the calling. God created man uh, something on the order of a rubber band, right? A rubber band is made to stretch. You stretch it out, you wrap it around something, it does good. When it's not being stretched, it's small and, and relaxed, But as long as it remains in that shape, it's not doing what it was made to do. When the rubber band's just laying there on the floor, that's not why it was created in the factory, right? When it stretches, it's enlarged. It becomes tense and dynamic. And it does what it was made to do. God created you, friends, to be stretched. 